ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to your favorite podcast, Babe. I'm your host, Lara Marie Shane Halls, and today I'm with fellow podcaster, self-help guru, author, and like a, a huge career in the music industry prior to all of this. It's Kathy Heller. This is so fun. And for those of you who are not sitting with us right now, um, this studio is in the most beautiful little courtyard. I I walked in and I was like, this is Los Angeles at its like most charming. It's oozing. I'm so happy to be sitting here right now. I'm so happy that you're here. And then can I also say, cut to you are, I was saying to Laura, I'm like, what do you think it is? Why your show is just doing so well? And I like talked to her for four minutes. I'm like, oh, it's because of you. Like she's <laughs> so cool. She's cool. Like there are those people that you're like, yeah, we need to be friends. She's that person. So I got it. Wow, you're the but best. You guest are ever. no, but you are. <laughs> and, it, and then I'm just the reflection of it. So I get it. So I'm happy to be in this space because I I can tell that the people who are listening right now like everybody's sort of like a family because of you. That's like your style. So I think people who then tune in feel like they know you and connect with each other in like a deeper way. So yeah. this is fun. I feel like we're all like at like a sleepover and it's like the conversation just started to get good. It's like two in the morning and we're really like just talking real talk. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's your whole life. We get into it. Yeah. I don't have time really to like, I talk, I can like bullshit about a lot of things, but I really prefer to get, as deep as Let's possible go. like yeah quickly sooner okay. rather than later me too um wait tell me a bit about yourself because i don't know that much about you Who aside from like you? you have like a pretty juggernaut podcast you have a book <laughs> coming out in two weeks oh my god and you like me started your podcast a couple years ago mm-hmm. so it's relatively new yeah in the podcast world look at us doing things i know just i know making it happen <laughs> i am also excited you're here because I want to pick your brain about like book advice, like writing, oh, the, because I'm now going through, I'm writing my first book proposal as like a solo author. And you're going to crush it. It is. You really are taking it out of me. Like I'm, str- well, we'll, I have we'll a lot get of into that. We'll get it. into yeah, that. We'll get into that. But yeah, that's just a, tell me about, I want to get easy. like the history. What's of, the history? Yeah, the what's history, the history is grew up in a neurotic Jewish family, parents dealing with their own anxiety and depression issues and watched a lot of 80s TV to get through it all. And that is, by the way, one of my like party tricks is I can sing like every 80s TV show theme song because it was like an intravenous like into the veins that I could avoid my parents. At yeah. All You're like the kids on Mad Men who yeah. just plopped down in That's front of it. the TV. Yeah. Okay. Love Pretty it. Pretty proud of it. Did you grow up in LA? No, I wish because LA at least has some culture. I grew up in South Florida okay. where we really could use some more. I like South Florida. Well, if you're in Miami, that's cool. You get some Latin culture, Cuban. We're talking like Boca Raton where people go to retire. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up retired. The average age is deceased. It's like a different mm-hmm. zone, <laughs> but it's beautiful and uh, the ocean is warm. So that's good. Um, I moved out to LA 16 years ago in this search for like, there's, there must be something that life has to offer. Cause what I saw growing up in my house was two parents. My mom was suicidal, like legit depressed, mm-hmm. still struggling with that today. My dad left, been married a few times since. And I just kept thinking as a kid, like this sucks. Like this is what life is. Like you grow up, you go through like 
all of these things just to be an adult that like watches law and order reads people magazine and like goes to Chili's like that sucks I don't want to do that and then I barely graduated from high school I was like not supposed to graduate my grades did not earn me that diploma but my homeroom teacher lied for me and said I know you can't stick around you have to get out of here because your parents and kind of making you crazy so I'll just pretend that you passed and um you should go away to school if you can. So I went academic probation to a state school, but it like got me away from home. Mm-hmm. And I was just desperate for meaning. I was like, there, I have to find a meaning. Like when your mom is like suicidal yeah, and you're dealing with that and not knowing if she's going to make it the next day. Mm-hmm. Where it's just touch and go. It's just life feels awful. And there was like a real after school moment, after school special moment where, you know, like, it was like a Hallmark movie where I came home one night. My mom was sort of in the throes of it. And I said to her, you know, all these years, like I'm trying to help you. And as a child, like I'm just listening to your sadness and always trying to pick you up. I'm like, but tonight I feel like asking you, like, what about me? Like, how could you do this to me? Like, yeah, that's I'm, a legitimate I'm a question. person, you know? And her response was, you're not enough. Like, I can't live for you. Like I, and I, I felt so invisible. Like I really, really felt like, what is the point to all of this? Yeah. And so, and that's also such a, I mean, not the message you ever want to hear from your parents. Even if it's that, even if that's their truth, it's like parenting 101. Yeah. Don't ever tell your kids that you're not enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Even though on some level I can see we're like, yeah, yeah like, I get that. Live like, for yourself. Yeah, but cognitively, like, like cerebrally, sure. But it's very but much the also ro- emotionally. Yeah, no, probably the wrong message. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So in any case, when I went to college, I was like, you know, I want to find meaning. And so I started taking all these humanities classes because I thought that was really interesting and I started, I became, of all things, a su- super random, I became a religion major because mm-hmm. I, I loved reading, like, what made people, like, relate to, like, why the heck we're here. And I just thought it was fascinating. That's so cool. I'm starting to realize, like, I'm really obsessed with religion and history and just figuring out, like, how we all got to where we are now. Yeah. And, like, what where does do all these beliefs I come know. from? And, and like, some of them are really consistent. Like, I remember when I was graduating, I wrote a paper on the similarities between Siddhartha, who started Buddhism, mm-hmm. and Moses, who's like the, the archetypical like figure in Judaism. They were both, they were the princes that grew up in a palace, then became ascetics, and then like led the people like to the revelation of like yeah. enlightenment. It's really fascinating. And there's a lot of, similarities that like you know woven through all kinds of different beliefs but for me it was like 
oh, just like oxygen. Like, oh, there are people who like waking up every day who Mm -hmm. have something to live for. No matter what their reasons are, it was just nice to be surrounded by like professors and books that told stories that had history where people were feeling like they related to being here and they felt significant. And um, what wound up happening is I wound up taking a three-week trip to Jerusalem after college and I stayed for three years, which is pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in Jerusalem for three years and I was pretty blissed out. It was pretty awesome. And cool. like met really cool, like truly like mystical people. And yeah. sort of, you kind of like have to weed out the people who are weirdos who have like an agenda. And then you find like a few of those real deal humans. Mm-hmm. It was great. Anyway, I then came to LA with this, like, I want to be a songwriter because it was all I loved growing up. And it was like the thing that got me through my life and all my pain. But when I got here, it turns out they just don't give record deals out on the corner, you know, (laughs) as it turns out. And I wound up feeling really frustrated and thought, oh, okay, I guess I have to figure this out. And I wrote bad songs and then my songs were a little better the next time and then a little bit less bad until finally I wrote a really good record and hustled my way like as if my life depended on it. I was mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to be my mom, so I guess I have to become Beyonce. Like, yeah. I, I really didn't know any other degrees in between having a passion and being a rock star. I didn't know you could have a podcast. I didn't know that you could, like, open a bakery and be fulfilled having a some kind of purpose. Like, Well, that's also the culture we live in yeah. is so, like, the only True. thing that matters is, like, Beyonce. And if you're yeah. not Celebrity. at that level, yeah. then you don't you don't matter you don't exist what you're doing isn't that great and like it's true it's such a toxic thing to measure yourself against and i truly i feel that a lot and like but that's just like how especially with like instagram and social media and like views and numbers and everything yeah gaming you to really think in that way and it's so true it is yeah it's like a contest like how much more how many more followers how many more people how much bigger right Mm -hmm. it's got to be bigger and more yeah yeah and so what wound up happening is i i got signed to interscope i was actually at sunset sounds which is not that far from here it's a Mm -hmm. recording studio i was sitting with lady gaga she was recording paparazzi and Ron Fair was there and he's like, oh, they want your coffee order. Tell them what you want. I'm like, right. Tell them what I want. I'm like, whoa, it's so surreal. So and as a songwriter. Yeah, as a songwriter. So you, like you wrote, when you say you wrote an album, it's like just a an album of songs as you as the recording artist? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I wrote a bunch of songs. I, I'm, I don't know. It's like a, a leap to say this, but I guess the person I was compared to the most is Natalie Merchant. Mm-hmm. I sound a little okay. bit like that. I get that. Okay. Wait, how did you end up in the room with Gaga? Because she was recording and I had just gotten signed and they wanted to impress me. They're like, you should come down at this time and check out this- check out what we're doing. Okay. But the record hadn't come out yet, her record. So, it so was- she was still like Hills level Gaga where she yeah. was like zipped <laughs> into a suit and like performing for Lauren Conrad. Yeah. Wow. It was cool. That's and cool. Yeah, it was neat. Really, really cool. Um. Anyway, what happened after was not so great, which was that I was driving on the 10 and I got a call from Ron Fair and he's like, um, are you driving? Can you pull over? I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. So I got off the freeway and he's like, you know, Jimmy Iovine thinks you're so sweet. And we just, I don't know how to say it. He's like, we just don't know for sure that we're going to be able to sell tons of records. It's just like a not ironclad. Like, I'm like, okay great. So I got dropped from the label. And this was when all the people in my life 
friends, family, people who had known me were like, right, Kath, this is the moment we told you would happen. Grow up, like be practical, be realistic. Like you can be happy when you retire. You can do things you like on the weekends. That's what Sundays are for. But that's like very rude that they were telling you that. Right. But this is the lie. This is the pair. It's either you're going to get lucky, right? This Mm -hmm. is what most people think. Either you're going to get lucky or you will do something you don't like because you're being a grown up and you're being an adult and you go to work and you build someone else's dream because that's the only thing available but you're going to get health insurance and you're going to be able to like say that you have a job and then you can watch Netflix. And I'm like, no, like I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably because I came from so much pain at home, I was like, you don't understand. I won't survive. I won't survive that. Yeah. There's not enough meaning in, I, I you know, it's so, so much of it. Need, I needed to be expressed. How anyway, old were you when the drop happened? 25, 25. Okay. Yeah. So what wound up happening is I'm that's like, such a significant age yeah my quarter life i feel like crisis. that was the quarter life crisis yeah. time was exactly right around my like moment of being like i don't like what i'm doing at all and like need to that's like right when, when i started white girl problems and then yeah. it was a whole shift but that's career-wise. amazing that you were that cool at 25 so i wasn't that cool at 25 um <laughs> but you were what, soulful you were singing soulful songs. exactly yeah so i wound up you really i think maybe song wise were meant to be like a 90s lilith fair you know what i mean you're channeling that thousand and you just million happened a little bit too late yeah yeah that it, lilith fair was like my happy place i mm-hmm. went three times is the best thing ever um, for those who don't know, it was like Sarah McLaughlin and Indigo Girls and Natalie Merchant and Cheryl Crow was the best. Anyways, what so, a time. What a time. So good. Um, so what wound up happening is I got a job. I got a day job. And I, tr- I, w- I felt like Barbie. Like there's astronaut Barbie and there's vet Barbie. And she tries on all these clothes. So I like did all these things. I worked at a nonprofit. I was like, oh, I'll be a good person and do this. And then it was like miserable. People were so dysfunctional yeah so i stopped working there and then i was like oh well i can't do what i love so i'll do a different kind of creative thing and i took an interior design class and i'm like i hate this and i'm <laughs> bad at it and you need to know math and this is not gonna work yeah and then one of my friends was like you know if you're not gonna do what you love and you're gonna have to have a job you should just make money make a shit ton of money i'm like true definitely cool let's just make a lot of money so she knew somebody who worked in Brentwood who owned like these huge hundred million, three hundred million dollar shopping centers. She's like, Oh, he does commercial real estate. You won't understand any of it, but just go go meet with him. Yeah. So I go meet with him and he was like, Oh, I love your personality. I could use you around. So he's paying me like a hundred grand. I'm twenty five, twenty six. He's paying me to basically like go on meetings with him and just like have co- normal human interaction with yeah. people before he like talks to them about like what the investment's going to be and it's going to be 400 million or whatever. He's crazy levels of money. And I liked having money all of a sudden, you know, I was able to get the the cute blue velvet couch from anthropology and got Mm -hmm. my own apartment and ate really good sushi. I was 25. It was a lot of money for me. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Just like period. Yeah. I mean, when you're 25, that's like great. You're basically like a jillionaire crushing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then about, a year and a half after, I remember I was just driving one day and I was like, this isn't me. I, I'm not supposed to live this life. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> this actually is not good. And 
is this it? Like it felt like golden handcuffs. I was like, I don't want it. So I wound up quitting. And I thought I ha- there has to be a way for me to feel like myself. And I felt like I would sit at this desk and like, no one knew I could sing. No one knew that I had these songs that were like, like burning a hole inside my soul. Nobody mm-hmm. knew. And I was like, this isn't okay. I, I, I can't, I can't not live life on my terms. And I think that that's like the number one regret they say of the dying is that I didn't live life for me. You know, I lived the life that my father told me to live or that somebody told me I needed to do this or that. And I said, there's got to be a way to do music. There's just got to be a way. And so, you know, when you ask a question like that, like as opposed to giving yourself the, the, the sort of excuse, like I can't do it, then your mind's like, you can't do it. But if mm-hmm. you say to yourself, well, how would I do it? Maybe you start to give yourself like some ideas and you get resourceful. I wound up finding a path, which was, I I read an article a week later about artists that were licensing their music, licensing their songs to TV shows and ads and films. And I thought, I've never heard of that before or thought of it. I was like, you know what? As uncomfortable as this is, as scary as this is, I'm going to quit my job. And I'm going to spend all my time reaching out to people who choose music at Fox, Paramount, NBC, Lionsgate, and all the ad agencies, Ogilvy, Deutsch, TBWA, Day, Draft, FCB, DDB, I mean, I learned all these things. I didn't even know those words. I was just like, whatever those words are to learn, whoever those people are to meet, and then whatever music they need, I will connect with those people and make what they need. I was like so determined. Wow. And I did. And at first it was like hard because I would send them good music and they Mm -hmm. would say, great song doesn't mean that it's what I need right now. Yeah. Like I'm working on a story about a child who's da-da-da. We're working on an ad about empowering people i'm like oh wait oh this is interesting so then i had this like crossroads where it was like some artists who knew me were thinking they would say to me you're such a sellout like what do you care what movie they're making why why should you be informed by the stories they're telling and that's really creative like you're basically getting a writing prompt essentially or like a creative prompt and then the challenge is to like execute Yes. what you're being asked for. Totally. And so I actually was like, no, you guys are ridiculous. Like I get to actually be more inspired because it's hard to always come up with something that you want to write about. And usually the things we write about, it's a little like, it gets a little boring. Like a lot of times we're just writing about like someone we love that didn't love us back or a breakup mm-hmm. or something like that. And here I got to find these other stories that I related to that I just wouldn't have necessarily thought to tell. And I wrote a song called Let Your Color Shine, all about how we're all unique and we all have something different to bring to the world. And McDonald's and Walmart used it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm making a hundred grand just to like write a song. And I started doing it over and over until I was making like three or $400,000 a year. And I did music full time. I wound up doing that for a decade. And I never thought I would do anything else. I thought I would just do that. And then mm-hmm. what happened was, you know, sometimes you just keep getting led to another like it's just like there's a flow, there's a synchronicity to things. And I realized that other artists kept reaching out to me saying, can you teach me how to do what you're doing? Like, how did you get through to the people at NBC? How did you get on the phone with the ad agency in Minnesota? How did they even choose your song out of the thousands of songs? And I was like, oh, I wonder if I should teach songwriters. But I thought, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a teacher. I'm an artist. Yeah. I'm an artiste. I don't want to be a teacher. Because also there's that trope that's like those who can't do teach, teach. it's like a real way to teach, shit gym. on people that are teaching Horrible. when like the only way you learn anything in life is if someone like teaches you mm-hmm. or you're like teaching yourself 
or just like and we ourselves actually learn so much more when we teach the things that we know Mm -hmm. but i kept putting it off and saying no until finally i was on other people's panels and i was on other people's music podcasts i way before i ever had a podcast yeah and i would get messages over and over from artists saying i loved what you said i loved your talk you should start an online course and so i said you know what i'm gonna do it and i started an online course called six figure songwriting where i like showed up live no webinars no like modules of videos like i showed up live and spoke directly to people's souls. And I was like, here are all the things you have to do to get out of your own way. Here are all the things that you have to do to like lead with empathy that actually will make the person want to respond to your email. Like mm-hmm. be casual, care about them, you know, actually don't ask them for anything when they don't know you. It's not their job to listen to your music and give you advice. Like yeah. it's your job to deposit into them and do it in a way where it feels human. And, and then you should write the music that they need and see if you can anticipate what they need and how do you do the research so you can... Anyway, the class wound up doing so well and we helped... My I hired a team and I mean, we've had thousands of people come through the program now and um, the class started making like almost $2 million a year, just wow. that class. And then one of the women in my class said to me that she felt that I was so inspiring and she felt that the way that I was able to lay out what was possible and what we needed to do as human beings to be aligned with ourselves and then to monetize the thing that we love in the best way. She said, this is, this is relatable to every person. This is not just about musicians. You should start a podcast. She said, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, why not? What do I have to lose? And so my husband and I talked about the title and he's like, you should call it don't keep your day job because that's what people say to creatives. They'll say, don't quit your day job. Keep your day job because you can't do the thing you really want to do. So he's like, call it don't keep your day job and just make it about what's the dream job. And I was like, okay. And we started it in 2017 and we have almost 9 million downloads. And I've gotten to interview the coolest freaking people, Jenna Fisher from The Office and Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks and uh, Jen Sincero, who wrote You Are a Badass. And uh, I mean, Bobby Brown, the makeup artist and Jonathan Adler, Jonathan Adler, who's a designer and Brian Grazer, who made all those movies with Ron Howard. I mean, it's just been I just feel like the luckiest person. I feel so blessed to have this moment where this is what I get to do. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I get my own private TED talk. Well, you're like, I'm so impressed by you. I'm just like, you're so tapped into something. You're really tapped into something that's like, I I feel like saying it's beyond you is not correct. Like, because it is within you, but it's just like, you're tapped into some other sort of trajectory. Like, and I feel like, I mean, I think a lot of that goes back to having sort of painful experiences as a young person and really having like a lot of those challenges, but somehow you've been able to like use those and just be on like a rocket ship path. How do you like, how, what do you make of like what you've been able to make with your life so far. I mean, cause I don't think a lot of people are like in a financial situation that you are where it's just like everything you're touching almost. So it seems is like turning to gold. And it's crazy because I came out here with no money and no emotional support either, you mm-hmm. know, just sort of, I, I've always felt like the girl who was outside looking in and I wanted to go home so badly, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid, 
we lived in South Florida, which is not an expensive place. And my mom and I lived in a little apartment in South Florida. And it's, it's saying a lot because it's not expensive. You could have a house for 150 grand. You know, we lived in a little apartment and there was so much pain and darkness. And my husband also, his father died suddenly when he was a child and they lived in an apartment and he slept on the floor and his mother and sister shared the bedroom. And the two of us, when we got married, it was like us against the world. Like no one believed that. I I certainly didn't think this was coming Mm -hmm. a few years down the road. And it's kind of amazing because it's, it's truly beautiful that when you show up and you carry a lot of empathy for other people and you walk into the meet, like any meeting, even if it's this one, like mm-hmm. any meeting, and it's not about reaching your hand in someone's pocket. It's like, who are you? And I want to know you. Like you get to unwrap like a gift. Like my kids love LOL dolls. It's like mm-hmm. the, the thing that makes LOL dolls a multi-gazillion dollar company. Like they just don't know what they're going to get. And it's fun. That's the fun of it. Yeah. That's how I feel meeting my Uber driver. That's how I feel meeting a waiter. That's how I feel meeting whoever I'm going to sit next to on the plane going to Nashville. It's like when you just show up and there's that real live presence, what can happen between two people? Like it is such a rarefied it's rarefied air to be sitting across from someone who's actually seeing you Mm -hmm. and who's making space. And I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, that's my whole career. Yeah. Like I didn't, how did you do Did you like, was that a conscious decision for you? Is just like, no, but it's what your personality is. Well, does it go back to like what you study in college? Cause it does sound like maybe some, kind of Buddhist in some ways or like developing an understanding like of beginner's mind and like not judging, just like actively listening. Yeah. I have, listening. I have done a lot of mindfulness. Yeah. I've done that stuff. Mm-hmm. I spent a few years at the mindful awareness research center at UCLA also. And, and I have, and my, my, my Judaism is that practice of believing that like every person is like, a significant person. Like I, Mm. I do believe I remember walking the streets of Jerusalem and it hit me like, Oh my gosh, every person has different DNA. Every person has a different fingerprint. I remember thinking, what's the evolutionary need for that? Like we don't have webbing between our toes anymore. We used to, we don't have a tail anymore. We just have the tailbone. We don't need it. Mm -hmm. We got rid of it. There's no evolutionary need for us to have different fingerprints. There's no reason for it unless it's just a little wink that like each one of us has something unique to add and to yeah. do. And so I guess I sort of knew that even though I was now in LA sitting across from whoever the heck it was, like we were both equals in the in our ability to give to each other, mm-hmm. in our ability to and and because I did feel so invisible growing up, I guess I realized that it didn't matter what this person's title was, like yeah. what they wanted. What people want more than anything is for you to see them mm-hmm. and to be to feel heard. And I guess that's just because that's. I think our pain turns into purpose. So probably some of that, probably some of the spiritual stuff, and then also I was uncomfortable so much in my childhood that I. I wasn't expecting to be comfortable. So when I had to do things that were scary, starting my podcast, sending those first emails to all the movie studios, walking into this, walking into co-writing sessions with incredible songwriters who I felt ran circles around me. I felt like vomiting. Mm -hmm. Like all of those things made me want to not do them. Yeah. 
And yet I would do them anyway. And my husband says, I have the will of a small country. You do. I, I think He's that, not wrong. <laughs> I think that we have to have the ability to tolerate being uncomfortable and then get out of ourself. It's, it's, I guess I give, because I was not an A student also, and mm-hmm. nobody was busy looking at over my shoulder. My parents didn't care what my report card said. They didn't even know if I went to school. The blessing of that was I'm totally okay with being messy. So I think, how do you have a successful show or record or career? It's like, you just start. Like mm-hmm. successful people. Just take the first step. Because they're not. I, I met, I've met all so many of these humans. They weren't the one who was like, oh, well, we knew because you were straight A's. Or we knew because you had all this money and you came from all these means. No, Howard Schultz grew up in a public housing tenement. Like they had nothing. He... Like he was basically just playing basketball all day just so he didn't have to be in this tiny little tenement apartment. Who would know that he would be making three and a half billion dollars? But what he had, he worked at FedEx before he worked at, before he started this coffee company. He used to cold call when cold calling was not phone calls. It was like he'd walk into people's offices like, hi, my name is Howard. Like, and he had to because he had to put food on the table and he had to be messy and he had to walk in and it's the ability i think it's the ability to have courage so you're messy mm-hmm. and you're tolerating that right yeah. it's like i remember turning in music and writing songs that i knew it was like oh like my first three episodes of the podcast i'm like i can't even listen oh my yeah. god so it would like tolerating the feeling of inadequacy and then having the courage to reach out to people anyway and mm-hmm. put it out there anyway and make the call. I think that everyone who's listening right now, I know they have a good idea, Yeah, but they're missing momentum. That feeling of inadequacy though is so, it's so crushing. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I really, I really struggle with that a lot where it's like, if something isn't good right away or if it's like, I don't love it and I'm not obsessed with it, then it's like, Oh my God, I suck. Like, I'm so bad. I thought I was talented. It yeah. was all a lie. Like, it just, yeah. it, and it cascades into right. like the worst things I could ever think about myself. Yeah, it's horrible. And, yeah. and I do that too. And, and at the same time, you know, when Daniel Pink, who's very successful writer and TED Talk speaker and all of those things, he was on my show and I said to him, Well, what do you, what do, you do when you have imposter syndrome? And I loved his answer. He said, Listen, he said, if you have something that's going to make the world, the life of another person, even if it's one person, mm-hmm. somewhat better, maybe you made this beautiful piece of art or you created a piece of software. I don't, he said, it doesn't matter. But he said, if you, if you have something that you feel you had to make, he said, you have a moral obligation. And I said, whoa, that, that really gives people permission. He said, no, I didn't say you have permission. I said, you have a moral obligation. He said, we are not built to keep this to ourselves." We, mm-hmm. we, and he starts giving me all of this archeological evidence. He's like, we were built to serve each other. Yeah. That is why you're here. And all of the people that I've met who have studied the pursuit of happiness have said to me that it's not happiness. That's the opposite of depression. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of purpose. It's meaning it's, it's belonging, it's contribution. So what really helps me get out of my stuff is thinking about like, it's not about me. Like if I'm about to speak, I remember speaking at Chris Gillibo's event two years ago in Portland for a thousand people. And I was so anxious. I'm like, why did I do this to myself? I will never 
do this again. This is so (laughs) stupid. And then um, I walked out there and I said, just make it about them. And then it's like everyone who's listening has had a moment where you didn't prepare for it, but your friend told you that her dog died and you knew how to make space Mm -hmm. or you, you hear that someone's celebrating something and you know what to say. I just heard recently that Dr. Martin Luther King, when he did his famous speech that will like be iconic forever and ever and ever, apparently he wrote it and rewrote it and rehearsed it. And the only line he didn't write was, I have a dream. Because when he got up there and he stood there in that moment, he just knew he, that's what he had to say. Mm-hmm. And it came from the most vulnerable place. And it's the only line that anyone remembers. Yeah. So when we make it about the moment and the person, we're so prepared. And and it doesn't matter if it's perfect because the thing that people want from you, they don't want you to be perfect. When people are listening to this podcast or they're scrolling on their Instagram or they're whatever they're seeking, they're they're not seeking you to have it all figured out. Really like you are the only one that's seeking for yeah. you. What people really want from you more than anything else is they want to feel less alone. So when you're scrolling, you want to feel like, oh my God, this made me feel like I wasn't crazy. So this person is reflecting back how I feel and what I'm, you know, so I think part of the success of my show is not that I have the answers. It's me saying I struggle with anxiety. Marriage is super hard. I don't have sex all the time. I, I don't know how to balance being a mom. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm a workaholic and what am I chasing? And I think just the reality of no shame, like let go of the shame. Yeah. Like invite my, my mindfulness teacher used to say, when you have tea in the morning, invite all parts of yourself, invite all parts of yourself to have tea with you. The parts that self-sabotage, the parts that are brave, everything. Mm-hmm. It's all welcome. And from that place, you can really serve other people because you give them permission not to need to be perfect. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, I'm like speechless right now. No, you're not. Oh my God. So sweet. No, I'm just like very, I'm very moved. I completely agree about shame being such a tool for self-destruction and self-hatred and such. It's, it's so it's such a weird thing to really access and think about. Like I remember Brene Brown's like her big shame TED talk and all of that. Yeah. And it was so and I come from a background like I was very self-destructive as a teenager, like got really into drugs, was just like burning my life to the ground. And eventually things got so bad that I had to wear it. Like I got in trouble. I was kicked out of school and I had the opportunity to get sent away. So I was like, I need you to just send me like, send me away to like boarding school, like do whatever. Like I got, I have to get out of here. Like that's the only way I just knew that was the only way I was going to survive. So I went to this boarding school in Northern California that was like very new age, like part of the therapeutic boarding school industry, like really like, people that aren't qualified to be doing like heavy duty emotional work with teenagers are doing this kind of work that a lot of it revolves around shame and like being very explicit about your shame and sharing that. But I think the way that they did that was helpful in some ways, but ultimately kind of unhelpful because it's like they're making you bleed out, but not really giving you tools of how to 
handle the fact that you've just like exposed your deepest, darkest self to like a room full of other people while like Simon and Garfunkel is playing. So like shame became kind of a joke to me. Like I think about boarding school and sitting in a shame circle where you literally one by one are like, I'm ashamed that I like got drunk and like fucked this guy. I'm ashamed that like blah, 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 blah. And when I heard that Brene Brown TED talk, like I couldn't even access like what she was talking about almost. I was like, what does she mean? Like, like what does she mean by shame? Like shame is just like kind of a, a jokey thing or like not like, I don't know. I just couldn't connect. Yeah, I get it. And then now, as I'm writing about this period of my life, I'm really getting into, because that's the book that I'm working on right now, is about this experience I had at a teenager, like away from society at the school for two years and kind of like what led me there and my journey as I like came of age in this like environment that was totally bonkers. Like what, like, confronting all that shame and like what to do with it and like what happens when it's like where do you put that and like how do you parse through it and then like what does it all mean at the end of the day so that's like been just an intense project in that yeah and I really salute you for even like you're sort of doing the Marie Kondo where you're like taking it all out of the closet and Mm -hmm. like when we do that it gets messier before it's so it gets ugly. cleaner. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so like, yeah. And I think every person has all those skeletons within them. Like, I don't think totally. I'm unique in that way, but no, but it doesn't matter because yeah. it's, it's still your unique experience. So it's not really relevant if somebody had it same better. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to say about the shame and it makes sense. Everything that you just said, I think that, Every person who's listening, and you and me both, obviously, we just shared it. By the age of like eight, like shit goes down. Yeah. You know, and what happens is there's pain, there's loss, there's grief, there's trauma, there's all different degrees of it. And again, it doesn't matter. It's not relative, like relevant, whether this person had it. It's your story, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But people have been through things where somebody dies, somebody leaves, you love someone, they don't love you back, you, you're witness to trauma, if it's, even if it's some, happening to someone else. But things happen. And what happens is we are really good at building survival skills. Mm-hmm. And we want to do anything not to feel pain. Yeah. So we will figure it out. Some people will become overachievers to that's how I'll get the love that I need and therefore I won't be in any pain or Mm -hmm. I will do drugs so I can escape from the pain because why would I want to feel this pain all the time or I will whatever fill in the blank or I'll develop like messaging that explains this for me I think it was like my messaging that explained everything was like it's my fault like I'm like Mm -hmm. I'm wrong like I did something bad and so that's why this is and like then it becomes obviously that's like a painful thing to deal with. So So then when you're dealing with that, it's like drugs make that infinitely better. Right. I mean, that is basically like self annihilation. That's like who I am at the core is Mm -hmm. not good. Yeah. And therefore I need to like, I can't be in my body. I can't be present with this. Yeah. Cause I don't like myself deeply. Right. And, 
And that is so sad. And I think that I felt on some level and I still struggle in, in my own therapy, in my own life. I think my struggle is I'm not worthy of the love because in my growing up with my parents, it was like, we'll love you, but you need to take care of us. Like mm-hmm. you need to be our therapist. Like my mom would say to me, your dad wants a blowjob, but he needs to lose weight. And I would be like, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. You're like, I'm not Dr. Ruth. And I'm seven. Yeah. And it's weird. Jesus. And my my dad would say, like, she's not a good partner for me. You know, it's not just the sex issue. She doesn't make any money, so I'm leaving. And I would sit there, like, just staring. Like, wasn't this supposed to be the scene where you make me grilled cheese and ask me about my day Mm because I'm a child? It's like, no. My I was taught, like, you're lovable as long as you're good. As long as you're okay, take care of yourself and then have enough room to take care of us. Mm -hmm. So it's been a struggle for me not to always do and not to always serve. Like, well, what if I lose the relationship? We know it's like, well, give us a crap. You know, not everybody has to like you. You don't have to serve everybody. And it's been a whole unwinding of all of that and all these protections and all these defense mechanisms not to even need anybody. And that's one thing I wanted to say is that with all the things we're talking about, being successful, dream jobs, all of this stuff, I think that what happens is at some point, because you get hurt, because you get wounded, one of the best survival strategies I've ever seen that's so consistent in so many people I know is, oh, guess what? I have the perfect thing. I don't, I don't want it. Yeah. Cause if I don't want it, I don't care. Then I'll never get hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I don't really want to be in a relationship. What? I'm not even interested. It's like, oh, that's a, that's genius. Yeah. Or I don't want to be an actor. That's, that was me in high school. I don't care. I love, I, I'm so happy sitting at this computer working for State Farm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, people, I've just met people who are like, why would you bring that up? I don't even paint anymore. I don't even like painting. And I'm like, right, you don't like painting. Yeah. Right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you look at a child at my, I have a three-year-old, you, I go into her preschool classroom there's not one child that doesn't want to be creative. Yeah. And I used to think, oh, I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't really clear. I was only like a 15-year-old. But I remember thinking in high school, I was part of the drama clique. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, there's creative kids and there's not creative kids. But as a 40-year-old person, I can tell you, every soul is creative. Mm-hmm. And the thing, though, that happens is when you look at these kids in the preschool classroom, they have paint in their nose. They have paint on, you know, on their sleeves, in their hair. And they're weird. They just like do kids it's, do. They let weird it be things with their bodies, right. and no one judges that. And it's so funny to like see a child behave versus how an adult should behave. Like the other day, I was walking my dog, and this guy bicycled past me, and he was singing. And my first reaction was like, "Who's this freak on a bike, like singing to himself?" <laughs> and then. I'm like, if that was a little kid doing that, so, I would have no judgment. Right. You'd be weirded out if he wasn't thing. singing. You're yeah. Like, Why are you not like, singing? You're, you're eight. You should sing. And it's so 
unfortunate that yeah. somewhere along the line it becomes like unacceptable to express yourself because in ways. inevitably you got you were messy and then somebody told you no don't mm-hmm. do that put it away do it this way only do it this way you know and and it, it doesn't work it doesn't work the people i know who are super successful are the ones who they didn't listen. They they kept going and they rebelled against that. And so they they beca- and because they didn't play in the lines, they do have something new to innovate because they're seeing things. They're they're able to solve the problem because everyone's looking at it over in this angle and they're going, no, no, no. I, I heard Wayne Gretzky talking about why he's the greatest hockey player of all time. I'm not necessarily such a sports person, but I happened to my husband, we went for his birthday last year and he was the keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. And he said people ask me like what makes you such a great hockey player he said first of all i can tell you my parents said that there was one rule in my childhood which was when we came home from school we could put our book bags down and then we needed to be outside until the street lights came on we could not come back in the house yeah they wanted us outside so we were climbing trees we were making up every possible sport and game in the backyard which was so good for my creativity and he said and then when i went to play hockey all these kids had been like in hockey camp and hockey coaches and hockey teams. And he's like, I was a kid who played outside. So I would talk to the guys after the game and they would say, how did you score so much? What are you doing? And he'd be like, well, I, and he would explain what he did. And they were like, no, that's not what you do. You're trying to get the goal. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. I just do my own thing. And like, no one, I guess, plays the game the way he does. Mm -hmm. He said he used to watch hockey on TV and instead of being concerned at all with who was scoring, he would take a piece of paper and take a pen and just scribble on the paper following wherever the puck was on the ice. He would just follow the puck. Wow. And then at the end, he would pick up the paper and he would see where the most black lines were. Mm-hmm. And he said that that's all he does. And he's like, you'd think by now, since I talk about it, people would just like follow the puck. Yeah, like, they'd pick up on it. And he goes, they do don't. The they listen. To the, oh, this is the goalie. This is the, He goes, and no one touches him. The point is... This being messy thing, this having the courage to want things, this I'm going to show up even when I'm scared, this ultimately is what we have to do. And what's keeping us from doing that is this feeling of disappointing ourselves or disappointing other people because we're going to get it wrong. We're going to fail. But Failing is being successful. Like yeah. if you think about the iPhone, every 10 minutes, there's a new one because there's never like this is the iPhone. This is like the newest, best version mm-hmm. versus like we have to have the best. It's it's always beta. That's what makes it good. Yeah. And so I think putting your hand up and saying like, I'll lead, I'll host a podcast, I'll make a piece of art. That's it. You've already won. No one, no one's expecting it to be overnight, like the best thing ever. But the fact that you're putting yourself there, I think that what also has to happen is like the humility to be willing to be led to whatever it is that's your work. Because remember you said earlier that like everyone thinks it's like bigger, better, more. You have to be celebrity. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with like, what's your work versus like, I need to be Beyonce. Like, Everyone was made to do their own thing. And I think the new American dream shouldn't be like, you have to be Bill Gates or Lady Gaga. How about you have to be you. You have to find alignment where you feel like you live this life on your terms. Mm -hmm. And maybe for you, that's opening up a donut shop. Maybe for you, that's starting a yoga retreat. Maybe for you, it's just, you know, being a really good neighbor. Um, But if that's the case, 
then I guess we have to have the humility to say, it's not about impressing anyone or needing a certain amount of validation. I really just want to be me. Like whatever's going to feel the most like me showing up in this world and serving this world the way that only I can. Mm-hmm. And that then it's not really so much about me. It takes the pressure off of, yeah. In, I need to have this much money to be considered successful yeah. or get this kind of like acclaim or press or something like that. You know, it's the just, word ikigai, do you know that word mm-hmm. in, in, in Japanese, there's a word called the ikigai and the, and people, instead of in our culture, people say like, how, how are you? And then they say, what do you do for a living? If you meet someone, what do you mm-hmm. do for a living? So in Japan, when you go to a party and you meet someone, instead of saying, what do you do? People say, what's your ikigai? And your ikigai is such a better question than what do you do? Mm-hmm. Your ikigai, an ikigai is the combination of three points. It's the combo of what do you love? What are you good at? And what is what does the world need? So where those three things intersect, that's your ikigai. Meaning you found a thing that you love that you're good at that the world needed. So if you found a thing that you didn't love, that the world needed, not your thing. Yeah. If you find a thing that you love doing, but the world says, no, don't need it, not mm-hmm. your thing. But when you find something that you love that you're good at that the world needs, it's like, that's it. So for me, I started out like, oh, I want to be a rock star. And I think a part of that came from this child who wanted so much to be heard. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'll be famous and you'll see. To be heard and loved and valued. All of that. But meanwhile, Years later, I got led to doing this podcast and the podcast is something that I'm good at. I love doing and it serves people. It's a show that's really a space for people to feel like there's room for them and inspires them to do their work. And boy, does it feel better than singing. Mm -hmm. Even though I love singing, it's something about it is just in the flow. Yeah, it's more fulfilling. So isn't that cool? It's like, what if we would allow ourselves to be led to this ikigai. Maybe it's not what you thought it was supposed to be, but maybe it's even better because it feels meaningful and fulfilling and there's no grasping to like have this thing to measure your worth by. It's really about how you serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that puts it into good perspective too. Cause I feel like a big problem that I am starting to come up against is like what happens when I realize that like I can do the things that I want to do. And like when you do step into a space that does feel like think so uncomfortable because you've either like been conditioned through your own like negative thoughts about yourself or whatever, when you get to, (coughs) excuse me, when you get to a place where it's like, wait, I can do all of this. That suddenly becomes scarier than being like, I can't do it or I don't deserve it. Or, right, because then you have no excuse. It's mm-hmm. like, well, why am I not then? Or, okay, well, and I have to follow through with that. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think deep down we all know that on some level that there are, we, you we know, know we're playing small. Yeah. Sometimes. Or we, like having, like when you do uncover that like deep sense of worth that comes from within and like that, personal strength that I do think that everyone has that is like almost scarier than being really depressed or like anxious or like not wanting to get out of bed. There's something that's like terrifying about that. Yep. I guess maybe, yeah, because there is no excuse anymore. 
if mean, you're denying, or maybe if you're like, de- if you don't follow that, then you're actively denying that. And that's worse than kind of living in the dark and not yeah. ever. Uncovering I mean, it. just the other day I was talking to a friend who has like chronic vertigo and migraines. And she's always saying that the reason that she can't go out of her house, the reason she can't date, the reason she can't take her painting class, the reason she has no life is because she has vertigo and chronic migraines. And I said, I've known you for 25 years. And even before you had this, which she says started in the last five years, I said, you've always struggled with the same things. So can I just offer something? And she's like, yeah, I said, I think that you hold on to this thing because it absolves you of having accountability. You know, if you, if you can hold on to this, then you don't have to leave the house, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you can't. Yeah. But if you know that you can, right. Because I had said to her in her case, I said, you know, I found out I did some research and because every doctor she's met has said that she actually doesn't have it. She mm-hmm. only has like part of it. Um, and she doesn't sleep well and she's, she's struggling with anxiety. And I said, imagine if like, it's the lack of sleep, which is coming from anxiety, which is causing you to have the dizziness. Mm -hmm. And imagine if you, if you did have some accountability in that and she's like, Oh my God, you're right. Like, I don't want the accountability. So I want the excuse, like why I can't do anything. And I was like, yeah, I get it. It's pretty, it's hard to stare yourself in the face and Mm -hmm. say, Oh, this is on me. Right. But, um, yeah, I think that it's so much more freeing and awesome when we take accountability because then we don't have to, well, either I got the right deck of cards handed to me or I didn't either. No, it's like, wow, it is on me and I can do it. And then here's, here's the thing is that everybody has what they feel like is their ceiling and you stretch as far as you can and you're like, oh, I don't know. Can I really do it? Can I go the distance? There's always like a new paradigm shift where mm-hmm. you realize what you thought was your limit. It's not. We argue for our limitations all the time. Like I, I see people literally, they'll be like, I, I'll, be, I'll say, you should do this. No, I can't. You know why I can't? Because I'm like, you're arguing against yourself. You realize yeah. that. I'm arguing for you. You're arguing against I think what I've seen over and over in my own life and in other people's lives is time and time again is that we our capacity to blow right through all of these things is so fierce. And it's like, yeah, you are accountable and you are being tapped into the game. You got to get off the bench. And you know what? You can do it. Mm-hmm. You've done much harder things. Like anyone who's listening has already been through so much. Like your 11-year-old self is pretty proud that you are sitting here right now. So yeah. it's like... And that's like, you could do it. Not everyone is that lucky to be still sitting here right now. Like, I feel like I've in my life have known so much loss or have come into contact with like a lot, a shocking amount of people that have not made it that are gone and like not ever people that I would have thought like they're not going to be around anymore. Like this isn't like, they're not going to get it together. This isn't going to work out for them. And so that is something for your child self to be proud of. Yeah, I agree. If you're still like just getting up and like doing life. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. 
let's do some reader mail. Cool. Cool. Hi, Lara. Longtime listener, Lawler, and fan of all the pods, but now I'm desperate for some advice about my worst personality trait. I have major jealousy issues. I'm going to be brutally honest and vulnerable here. I've always been a jealous younger sister, almost to the point that it shaped my personality a bit. I've always wanted to do everything different than my older sister because I felt she's always done everything before me and gotten all the attention, prom, college, wedding, baby, you name it. She did it first. How dare she? As I've gotten older and we've grown into two completely different people with different lives, we respect each other and get along well. However, my jealousy still rears its ugly head, and I mean U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi ugly. The worst case was several years ago when a friend of me got engaged and I had a full-blown meltdown slash tantrum knowing the next year would be all about the, quote, big day. Toxic relationships in our 20s, just the worst. It's almost an out-of-body experience where I know I should stop, but I can't. I've had this meltdown in front of my then boyfriend, now husband. Yes, he somehow didn't go running far away from this babe. And once in a blue moon, it comes up in conversation as an unbecoming moment and rough period for us. Now that I'm happily married, engagements don't bother me much. Although sometimes on Instagram, the overly gushy couples with huge rocks still make my stomach turn and I wish I could get the fuck over that. After marriage, the trigger mainly switched to pregnancy, mostly because it makes me feel like other people have their shit together more than me, which I know is very irrational and no one's life is anything like their Instagram. My husband and I have an open dialogue when I have these feelings, and I always admit it's extremely immature and, like I mentioned, my worst quality. Well, there was another incident. I recently found out that I'm newly pregnant. It must mean I have my shit together, right? Lol. And no less than a week later, a family member announced they were also expecting. Just when I thought I'd have my own moment for once, I had a full-blown tantrum and said a few horrible things, too horrible to blame on hormones. I'm so ashamed, embarrassed, and disgusted with myself. My husband has forgiven me, but we had another talk about how this behavior needs to stop, especially now that I'll be a mom soon. I will point out I usually get over it after a few days, but the initial shock is part of what sends me over the edge. I assume therapy would be a good place to start in deleting Instagram, but any other advice you can give me to make me feel like less of a jealous bitch would be much appreciated. Sincerely, hormonal babe. Wow. I definitely, I relate to this like on a level, like I don't have tantrums like outwardly, but I definitely have a lot of like compare and despair when it comes to other people getting things that I would want. Yep. Like where I'm like somehow, I think mostly career wise, it's like when I see certain people get something great or do something great. I feel angry that they got it. And then also like somehow it reflects poorly on me, Mm -hmm, which is like disordered thinking about the whole process. Totally. I can relate to it in the sense that because I struggle with my own marriage and anxiety and I'm always asking myself, did I make the wrong decisions? Is, does he really see me? Am I, it's so awful. I hate it. I wish it would go away, but I'm working on it in therapy. And then I'll see people on Instagram like, my husband's my best friend and we just went on the perfect vacation. I'm like, oh my God, if I went on vacation with my husband, I would just fight with him the entire time. (laughs) I'd have all these expectations. I'd be miserable. I would feel like I'd be constantly comparing us to like, why are we not like this couple or that couple over there? And you know, all of those things. So I can totally relate to that. I just want to say a couple things. One, you're an amazing writer. I loved listening to this letter and I just... 
have a couple ideas for you. I know it's super random, but I feel like you should have a podcast where you do the complete opposite, where you make space for people who are feeling like they don't have it together. Because just listening to you talk, do you understand that Laura and I just related to you? And so would millions of other people, you would actually be doing a service to the world just to make the space for it. I actually think that could be an incredibly profound podcast. Yeah. A friend who's become a friend, she was actually a listener of mine. She started her own podcast called Marriage and Martinis because her marriage was, and this is not private. This is what she talks about on her show, which is so incredibly generous. But mm-hmm. she was listening to my show while her her marriage was completely falling apart and he had like an alcohol addiction plus a gambling addiction. They were like fighting all the time. It was horrible. And they were on the verge of breakup and so bad. And she was on Instagram all the time seeing this couple and that couple. And she would look for like marriage advice and just be like wanting to throw up because everyone had had so much advice, right? Yeah. Like, here's how you do it. Let me take you under my wing because we have the answers. And she's like, everywhere she went, it wasn't helping. It was only making it worse. And so listening to my show, she's like, Kat, she wrote me this letter. That's how I got to know her. She's like, I decided to listen to your show and say like, F it. No, I'm going to do my thing. And she started a show called Marriage and Martinis with her husband where they would actually have real conversations about what's really going on. And ironically, they've helped so many marriages stay together. Wow. Because they're honest about it. She's like, sometimes we just flat out we'll get into the worst fight on the show. We won't we won't edit it. We'll just put oh it up. Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm and they ready t- to listen to yeah, this. Podcast. And they talk about all their all their shit. And she started it within like six months, they had three hundred thousand downloads. She started her Instagram a year and a half ago. Now they have like 200,000 followers on Instagram because every single post is, here's how I really feel. Here's what it really is. So part of what you're feeling is just super normal because as you said, because you related to it in your letter, no, those other people on Instagram don't have a perfect life. And part of you is just super real. And you're like, ew, that doesn't feel authentic. And you know it. Mm-hmm. And so that makes you mad. It makes you mad because it's garbage. And we're comparing ourselves to things that don't even exist. How often do I see people on Instagram like, oh, my God, this one has the perfect life, the perfect trip, the perfect kid. And then you hear, oh, you know, they just broke up. And you're like, what? How? Oh, right. Duh. Mm-hmm. Right. So I try to just like, go right to it. Like, as opposed to making anyone dance around, it's like, I'm anxious. I don't have my stuff together. I'm barely holding on. Like, I just tell it like it is. So I don't think people are jealous. They actually feel the opposite, right? They feel like, oh, she's a person just like me. Yeah. Um, Connected. Connected. Exactly. There's no shame. Everyone would feel those things. It's normal to want those things. It's actually beautiful that you wanted before you got married to get married. That's a beautiful thing to want to be in a relationship. It's beautiful that you wanted to have your own moment. I don't think there should be no shame. Part of what I don't like about the letter to to be kind to you in in a good way is like you're shaming yourself for even feeling all these things. We're like, yeah, this is like natural that you look over at someone else who's doing something and and then want that for yourself. I think where it gets destructive is when you think that that person who's having that experience right now, well, that means that it takes away from yours in some way or that it means that you won't get your share mm-hmm. because like we talked about a few minutes ago when we were doing the podcast, like everyone has different work to do. And, you know, there's at my daughter's school last year, they at the gala, they honored the, the man who's been the janitor there for 20 years, Romero. He's so sweet. And 
my teach my my daughter said, "Oh, Romero's so sweet. We're all making cards for him and this and that." And um and she, and and she said, "Do you think he likes it because, you know, Stephanie's dad's a doctor and so and so's a mom is, you know, she made this incredible app we're all using and he cleans the floor." I said, "Because I said to her, he he feels pride in what he's doing. He really does. I'm not, I'm not making it up. Mm. I, I'm not trying to make it sound better he, than it is. He's so sweet. He's always so happy. In a way, I feel like he's happier than most of the parents who drop their kids off at the private school. Yeah, he's just a happier. He's happy. He's grateful. He's, he's he has a good job. He, he likes it. And I said, and I said to my daughter, look how important it is because like just like you need your teacher to be there when you get to school, don't you need it to be clean? Like, what would your school be like if it was dirty? You wouldn't want to sit there, right? So everyone has a role to play. And you don't need 7 billion people in the world to get you or marry you. You need one, you need three good friends, five good friends, you need the work that's your work, not somebody else's work. So it's like, for me to look at name any person, Oprah, fill in the blank, Rachel Hall, I don't who podcasters, I don't know, anyone and be like, "Oh my god, I'm so jealous." It's like, but that's her role. I'm yeah. not supposed to be her in doing her thing. And if there's ever something that I really feel jealous, I'll ask myself, "Oh, is that just letting me know that I need to do more of that? Maybe it's an inspiration, like turn it around and be like, "No, it's just calling me out on being accountable." It's like Maybe this person is doing X, Y, Z with their career and it's a reminder like, write that book proposal. Okay. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Be stopping hard on yourself and get it out there. Look at them. Like, because a lot of times people will be jealous and they'll say, and they're not even good at it. And it's like, okay, so then get in the ring. Yeah. Right. Because maybe they're not, that. maybe you are better, but they had the courage to be mediocre. So yeah. maybe you need to be like making a big deal about your pregnancy. Because you want the like, you want this like beautiful moment where you get a lot of attention for it, and like maybe that is like, maybe you need to be making a bigger deal out of it. And there's nothing wrong with it either. Like I kind of like just that's why I said you should start talking about it, whether it's a podcast or on your Instagram. I kind of like when people are just honest. Like I need more attention right now. (laughs) I like 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 the idea of the jealousy podcast where people are just really honest about what they're jealous of this week. I'm telling you. I love that advice. It's great advice. Okay. Lara, my queen. Firstly, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for getting me through some truly dark days. This last week with no new episode has only been made bearable by going back and listening to all the eps you've recorded with Ed. I literally got a full body shiver when I saw there was just a new episode. I've lived most of my 25 years as a bit of a never babe, being extremely shit. Being an extremely socially anxious person most of my life, but last year, after moving from Portland with my best friend and her boyfriend to the small California to a small California coastal town, things have gotten babier. I have a theory that the fact that there is basically nothing to do in this town and only white people to do it with makes people wild out in bizarre ways. Things were going pretty well for a while. My friend is a teacher and I got a job at Trader Joe's. Me and my roommate made a little friend group and I basically had a spiritual awakening. Started doing yoga and journaling every day and coming to a lot of realizations about how my past and the ways I'd been conditioned were basically ruling my life. In a lot of ways, I feel like a totally different person than I was before. My social anxiety is nearly gone, although not to bury the lead, I'm still like a full virgin. Like I've never kissed style. I'm honestly trying to parse out if I'm kind of asexual or majorly or just majorly repressing due to some childhood shaming around sex. But anyways, it's a good thing I feel stronger and more sure of myself than ever because the rest of my life is crumbling. 
It kind of started when one of the guys in my friend group made the babe decision to try and put the moves on me in the backseat of the car while our friend group was driving back from a concert with my best friend literally asleep next to me. The moves, by the way, were to weirdly try and hold my hand. And then when he got no response to turn it into a sensual hand slash thigh rub for like an hour on the whole drive back, babe, I felt so awkward and was just trying to keep spill and also keep the driver awake with conversation. Side note, he and I were supposed to go on a hike the next day, which I was able to escape because my disabled cat had diarrhea, lol, which worked out great for me. I told my best friend what happened and she found out from her boyfriend that the guy had been planning to ask me out, but I guess decided on a different plan. Anyways, in the aftermath of that, while nothing dramatic happened, I did basically lose my whole friend group, including my best friend, which is its own email, but I was majorly triggered by some recent reader mail about toxic friendships. I lost them by them all just continuing to hang out together, but not inviting me and not addressing what happened. I'm honestly still super confused and sad and trying to get over losing my best friend. We'd been friends since I was 16. We'd lived together five years. We were like sisters and I was there for her during some super difficult times. And now we barely talk. Living together has become so sad for me. Plus her boyfriend is a messy man child and I'm on the lease till next August, but I'm hoping I'll be able to leave by May because I don't know how much longer I can take it. So then there's work, which is kind of a huge gnaw. Working at a grocery store isn't my dream, but I honestly have too much climate anxiety to figure out what is right now. Working at Trader Joe's in a tiny town full of old people is its own weird trip. Everyone knows you. It's like you're in the spotlight while being forced to treat these drugged up senile golfers like princesses who can't open a produce bag on their own, all while smiling while they call you sweetheart. It's the kind of job where you have to take your laws where you can get them. This email is too long already, so I'll speed through the rest. Basically, I found out two of my male coworkers who I thought I could just have a chill, low-key, casual friendship with are actually both into me and are having some sort of rivalry or competition over who gets me. Also, one of these guys is close to my age, but the other one is like 40 years old and has a daughter, and I heard a story that he once took a guy on a night bike ride to cut the head off of a dead hawk. So like, what the fuck is he thinking? He's dead to me. Also, he can't look me in the eye since he randomly showed up at a class I'm taking to ask if I wanted to hang out, and I said no. I also found out around then that my parents, who fought my whole childhood, are actually breaking up, so that's been a lot. Although it's still a huge TBD in the process. The problem is this. I actually really like the younger guy, at least as a friend and a life preserver in the hell that is my work week. And I can't lie, he's a cutie and I don't want to stay a virgin forever. We have undeniable chemistry and I can feel us getting closer, which scares the shit out of me. I already feel like I'm balancing on an emotional tightrope just trying to make the next seven months in this town. And I don't want to lose him as a friend, especially for making work bearable. He drove me home tonight and said we should see a movie sometime. I'm triggered. I have this impulse to just babe out and tell my whole truth to them, including the fact that I know about the competition he's having with the older guy, just to see what happens. Partly because I've been feeling lately like I've never been completely honest about how I feel in my entire life, and if I don't change that, I'm going to combust. But I also feel like I can barely keep it together as is, and if for another friendship to fall apart, this way would be crushing. Feels like there's no right move. I would so greatly appreciate any advice or experience you have to share. So much love and light to you and Tony. Wow. That's a lot of information to process. I love your listeners. They're great. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand. It's as if you like 
if you had to sit down and write these two letters, like you would write these exact letters. They're so good. They're Mm -hmm. specific and interesting and funny. I'm like, who are your listeners? I love you. I always say the readers are writers because this is like the majority of emails that I get are just like high level, like good communicator, funny, like people that I'm like intrigued to read what they have to say. Love listening to every word. What do you think of this reader situation? There's a lot. There's so much kind of wrapped up into all this. Yeah. I I feel like, go ahead. I feel like they're having the fact that there's awareness about all of this is like, makes me feel really positive about the whole situation because I think like you're doing a lot of work, you're looking inwards, you're like considering a lot of stuff that can, I think feel really overwhelming when you're going through it where you just feel like, God, every element of my life is such a mess. But the fact that it's like the acknowledgement of that makes it less messy. Yeah. I mean, there's a few big pieces of this, right? So there's like the relationship with the guy, mm-hmm. pos- the, the the question mark there. And then there's yeah. also what happened with the friends. But then underlying all of it is sort of, for me, linked into the parents fighting her whole life now getting divorced, which probably has a lot to do with why there's been a big suit of armor she's been wearing to not want to like let someone super close. That makes sense because mm-hmm. she's smart and she's, pretty darn emotionally intelligent the way she writes so it's like she didn't want to be in a situation like whatever was going on at home so she took this like virgin route which is really a way of saying i don't trust anyone Mm -hmm. and i remember when i was in college and i was considering losing my virginity to my first boyfriend and i remember telling the therapist like i'm I don't know, every time I think about us having sex, I feel like nauseous. I don't know if it means I'm asexual or I don't know what's going on. I think part of it was me personally, like my parents' stuff was so close to me. I knew their stuff. So that actually made me not want to be sexual Mm because they told me about their sexuality so early on, which is yeah, so gross. But also I remember my therapist saying, if you had just been in a fire, and you had third degree burns all over you. What's the kinder thing for me to do? Sit really close and hold you tight or stand six feet away? And I said, oh, I, yeah, I get it. And she said, stand six feet away. So, you know, when you're feeling like you're crushing it, you're doing all the things, and then someone comes along and holds you, you it actually hurts that's when you feel the burn, mm-hmm. right? But you can kind of live with all of these scars, but as long as someone stands six feet away, you don't necessarily get up close with it. And that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And uh, think, thankfully, you know, the relationships I've had in my life, like were people that were good human beings. And thank God, they, they actually say that our attachment wounds, the issues we had with our parents... What's so cool is that we can heal them in relationship. Mm-hmm. That the that like literally like, trauma that we've experienced, we can heal it. We can we can sort of feed ourselves with new feelings that reroute all this old injured stuff by having a new kind of trust and connection in 
in relationship with someone that we love who loves us in return in a healthy way. And that's really exciting that the data shows that. Wow. It's powerful. Like, cause there are many things that just are the way they are and you can't change them, mm-hmm. but we can now have a new attachment, you know, attached to a new person in a healthy way and we heal. And so I would say, you know, there's, we're jumping around cause there's a few things in your letter that are really sort of equal parts, but I would say it would be wise to when you feel like doing the thing, which is to run and have resistance, maybe that's the thing to do, like is open up to this guy and and to see. And obviously like one baby step at a time, but I think it's such a gift to yourself to let someone in because that's how you will then be free of whatever makes you feel like, you can't trust, you can maybe re- reroute it, maybe have a good experience. Maybe he doesn't wind up being the person forever, but even if it, it winds up being like a beautiful six months or year or three, you'll you'll gain so much from that. I feel like my college boyfriend like helped me heal so much. We went to concerts together and drove across the country together and had long talks and good fights and fights are good too to learn things. And, mm-hmm. and then like, we went our separate ways three years later and I had another serious boyfriend and we were together for a couple of years and each one sort of built on me knowing myself more and knowing how to trust and open up and, and then it's ready for the real show. And then like I got married and like all your stuff comes up and hopefully you have a partner who's just willing to like walk beside you. And um, I think where these other two pieces of the story connect is that it sounds to me like these are not your friends. So because one thing that feels very sort of binary, the way that she's writing is like, it's either I'm not going to let anyone close Mm -hmm. because when I do, if I actually speak up for myself, everyone's gone. Right. Like she had this weird experience in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Yeah. It's totally inappropriate. And when she, says something about it it sounds like everybody's gone yeah then there's no that's again it's like sometimes when we don't have true attachment we don't know how to have healthy attachment so we're either attached to people who treat us like garbage and don't really respect and deeply see us and therefore we're like why would i let a guy in why would i let a deeper love relationship in because that that equals me piecing out Right? Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Versus like knowing how to be in a relationship and say what you need and and people should be able to hear that. That's what a relationship is. And if if people don't hear that and now they're not your friend, that is not the friend group to have. Yeah. So it's it's kind of just like an organic weeding out of those people. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I have had so many relationships like that in my life where you, you sort of grow through them and you're like growing out of them and you go, why did I put up with that? Why did I tolerate it? Like my sister used to call me out. Like there was a couple girls in my life, even like in, in recent years where she's like, whenever you're around that person, you, you, I can tell you're like trying to act cool. You're like trying to win her over, like screw her. Mm -hmm. Why should you have to earn a friendship? Like, you're cool. Like if she doesn't like you, like, you know, why are you walking on eggshells? I'm like, you're right. I do walk on eggshells. Who needs that? Yeah. If you speak your truth and then everything hits the fan, that's not, that's not your group. And it's an opportunity to start over and find the people or get closer to the people that are here for 
those difficult times or when you need to say something that they're not necessarily going to like, like, yeah, it's a chance to like grow more. Yeah. And I guess that that's the picture I'm trying to paint is that by finding a, a person who you can just see each other and make space for each other, then you'll start to hopefully have an experience of a relationship where you're not perfect. You don't have it all together. Sometimes you speak up and they don't like it and they're still there and they still respect you. And having that experience is really healing because you realize that like you can show up and someone's not going to walk away or tell you that you're an idiot because you said something they didn't like. Yeah. I think it's a good and like, it seems like a good instinct to follow, like saying what you feel called to say to somebody like telling them how you feel (laughs) and like (laughs) and like expressing yourself because it's only through that that you can even see if like yeah they're worth it or the relationship is worth it yeah yesterday i was talking to my husband and i was like when you do that we were driving the car i'm like it makes me feel so triggered and 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 he was like okay he's like just tell me how you feel i'm like i just feel anxious when that happens and and blah, blah, blah. and then he says to me he's like i think you need a hug and then he was right and it was like he didn't take it personally mm-hmm. you know and the there were there's going to be relationships in your life friendships and people you date where they don't have room you know they don't have room to hear your story they don't have room to hear your truth that's not going to last you know and and then it's Honestly, it's a blessing when that comes out and it's, they move on because it's like, it's a, there, there's, there's better. What if there's, you know, I've, I've heard it say that like we live the lives we're willing to tolerate Mm -hmm. and our standards are so low. Like it's time to raise the bar on like what a friendship should be like. Like even my days now, right? Like I get to have interesting conversations like this. It's Mm -hmm. like, because over time I raise the bar on like what I would do with my time. It's yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to you're not going to be able to pay me to sit at a desk. No, it has to be interesting. It has to feel like it's helping you know someone or it has to feel like m- I'm growing from the experience. Same thing in a relationship, same thing in a friendship, like and I think maybe it's all sort of related. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Especially like the parents element of it too. Yeah. I found that I have like tendency to repeat like after my parents got divorced my mom didn't really like ever date again like same it was with just, me like done yeah and I have after like a really serious relationship I had in college I didn't date for like six years and like then had kind of a mildly serious relationship but mostly have been like single and now I'm realizing like that instinct to just kind of shut it off and then yeah. like go inward and just be is like, that was what was modeled to me totally. as a child. Yep. So it makes a lot of sense that that's like where I would go because it's like just the next logical step, but also not what I want to do. No. And you're super young and yeah. so sparkly. Like I'm sure <laughs> there's not going to be any shortage as soon as you're ready to open the door to that in a real way. Well, thank you readers for writing in. If you have any more questions or want advice, don't hesitate to write babepodcast at gmail.com. Kathy, thank you so much thank for you doing so this much. podcast this was so with me fun. today. I had a blast. So um, 
tell everyone about where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Come find me. My book comes out November 12th. And I told Laura, I was like, let's do a giveaway for your audience. So we're going to give away three $75 gift cards to Nordstrom. Those of you who buy the book, you'll be entered into a raffle. So it'll be just for listeners of this podcast. And and you'll know it's so because what I want you to do is before November 12th, buy the book and then send an email to hello at don't keep your day with the subject line, babe, question mark, mm-hmm. and um, send me a screenshot of your pre-order. And then we will go through, put everybody in a raffle and we'll choose three of you to give a $75 gift card. But of course, everyone will get the book. And then um, you can also find me on my podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, which is free. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. And I love your reader mail. So I'd love to hear from you guys. It's so fun. You, you've done such a good job, Lara, building such a great audience. Thank you. I'm so inspired by you and like everything Thanks. that you're doing and saying I'm here for it all. Hello, that's so nice because so, you're super smart and the funny. feeling is mutual. Um, we're going to do a, a bonus episode. So if you want to access that content, you can go to patreon.com slash babe podcast. And that's it. Bye. Babe? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.